Pray with me, if you would. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to come together this morning as a family to worship you, to encourage each other, to be encouraged by you. Lord, we pray that as we listen to your word this morning, that you would open our hearts, open our minds, that you would fill us up with you and displace anything that's not of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Colossians still. We're at uh, the beginning of chapter 2, if you're following along at home. And uh, <clears throat> we're going to look at the first five verses this morning. I'll read them here in just a second. But this is kind of an introduction. Paul is introducing some themes here that he's going to expand and elaborate on through, uh, through most of the rest of this letter to the Colossians. Um, so I'll just, I'll just pick up here in verse 1. For what I want you to know... For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Amen. That was the inspired portion. The rest of this is not. Keep that in mind. So just uh, just to recant a little background of where we are. So Paul's writing this letter to the Colossians. It was written about the same time that he wrote the letter to the Ephesians and the little book that we skip over because it usually just takes up about a page of Philemon or Philemon or however you want to pronounce that. Uh, wrote these all about the same time. Uh, he wrote them from prison. He's in prison at this time. And uh, so he's, he's, he's writing these letters. He's got his friends with him. And they're in prison. This is the first time he was in prison. So it's more like house arrest than it is, you know, chained to the wall. But nonetheless, it is prison from the Roman government. And <clears throat> he did not plant this church, this church in Colossians. If you saw that, if you picked up on that, said, for those of you who have not seen my face, Paul has not been to uh, Colossae, the city, at this point yet. Now, he does get there eventually on his last missionary trip. But at this point, as he's writing this, he's never been there. They have not seen his face. He, this is you know, a second-generation church plant, if you will. Uh, <clears throat> we don't know exactly how that got planted, but nonetheless, there's a Christian community, people following Jesus in Colossae. Paul has gotten wind of their faith, gotten wind of their, their love for Christ, and so he's writing this letter then to encourage them to, as they continue to walk with Jesus. Um, it's uh, uh, it's uh, so Colossae. If you if you care, if this helps you at all, it always helps me to be able to picture where things are on the map. But it's kind of uh, if if you know at all, kind of what's modern Turkey. If you come down the coast, I'm doing this from your perspective, not mine. So I'm going to try to do it in reverse. But if you come down the coastline from Turkey. About two-thirds of the way down is Ephesus, which was a coastal city. And then you go 100 miles 
east of Ephesus and you're in this valley where uh, Colossae is and Laodicea, the other town that's mentioned here that was in this same little valley. It's a very pretty little valley, uh, but they're about 100 miles east of Ephesus, east from the coast. So it's an inland valley, agricultural, and, and has, you know, some stone masonry that goes on around there, quarrying of stone, that kind of thing. So that's kind of where we are geographically. But again, he's introducing some themes now that through the rest of chapter 2 and chapter 3, he's going to expand on these themes quite a bit. And the first one that I want to talk about is this, this struggle or this burden that he talks about. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea. So again, Paul's not met these people, but there's a burden on Paul's heart for their faith, for their, uh, for their community. And so he's taken the time to write this letter from prison to, to encourage them and so forth. And it's one of the things I will, I'm going to put forth, and you see if you agree with this or not, but as I, as I think about Scripture and I think about things that God does that we look at in Scripture that He does through other people, and we think, wow, that was just amazing. It seems like God always starts with a person first that's listening to the Holy Spirit, and then he puts a burden on that person's heart. And then somewhere along the way, a program gets developed around that burden. Right? And so I'll get an example would be uh, Nehemiah. If you remember the story of Nehemiah from the Old Testament, and uh, you know, he's the, uh, the cupbearer for the king while they're in exile in Babylon. And so his job is to die first if the food's poisoned. Great job. And, uh, <clears throat> but the, uh, the king uh, gets to know... Nehemiah quite well, obviously, and uh, for a long, Nehemiah has this burden on his heart because he's listening to God, and he has this burden on his heart for the walls of Jerusalem that are just in shambles after the Babylonians came in and hauled everybody off, and he really wants to see those walls rebuilt because to to him and to the to the Jews at that time that was a, that would be very a, a physical literal symbol of God's strength and protection of His people and like I have not forgotten about you I'm going to take care of you so there's this burden on Nehemiah's heart now he's you know hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem at this point and so day after day he comes before the king and the king can see that something's been eaten on Nehemiah. You know, he just can't hide it. He just so finally the king, the king of Babylon, the conquering the conquerors, says, Nehemiah, what's on your heart? What you, what's eating you up? And so, you know, he kind of takes a deep breath and says, "All right, king, you asked, so I'm going to tell you." And tells him now, you know, what, and so the if, you know the story to cut to the chase. The king find the, the the king of the nation that conquered and tore down the walls winds up funding Nehemiah to go back and put a work party together and rebuild the walls. Now, a walled city is a defensible city, right? So if you're a king, you don't usually pay for the people that you have conquered to rebuild walls because that means they could stand and resist you again. That's not some... But anyway, that's because God was involved with this. That's exactly what happened. If you, have, if you don't remember the story very well, I encourage you to go back and read it. It's one of the most remarkable stories in all of Scripture. But it started with the burden on Nehemiah's heart. And then it moved into this progression to where ultimately there was this program and this remarkable movement of God that happened. And as I thought about that, and I think about the way that it, at least my tendency, and maybe it's not yours, but my tendency, and I think our tendency in a big sense as a church, is we like to start with a program, right? We think of this, oh, 
well, there's this great idea for a program. And so we get this program, we develop this program, and then we go look for somebody to run the program, right? And so we just go try to find somebody to run the program. And that seems to be backwards from the way that God tends to operate. When, when we see, at least in Scripture and then anecdotally outside of Scripture, when really amazing movements of God happen, they start with a person listening to the Holy Spirit and getting a burden placed on their heart for a place, for a people, for whatever. You heard Molly this morning. She has a burden on her heart for these women in Latvia that are coming out of horrific situations to give them dignity and employment and a hope for the future. Now, what's, what's one person from New Braunfels, Texas, going to be able to do to fix human trafficking in Latvia? I mean, that seems ridiculous on its face, right? I mean, when you just think about it in those terms. But it's a burden on her heart, placed there by the Holy Spirit, and she's just following Jesus, doing what she can. And wow, things are happening. It's remarkable. But it starts with the burden on your heart. You should talk with Chuck and Mary Nell about the burden on their heart to help people that are illiterate in any language learn how to tell the story of Jesus in their language. It's amazing what's going on in Nepal. And Lord only knows, you have to get them to tell you where all the world they go. But uh, yeah, again, a couple from New Braunfels, Texas, wanting to help spread the story of Jesus in Nepal to people that are Ill- illiterate in any language? I mean, that's ridiculous, right? I mean, come on, what are we going to be able to do? That just, that's ridiculous. That doesn't happen. But there's that burden. Lord, we just want them to hear the story of Jesus. So help us, Lord. And so, hey, we'll teach them how to tell the stories. They don't have to read to be able to tell the story of Jesus. They don't have to. And so now there's people all over Nepal that are spreading the word of Jesus without having to have the ability to read because of Chuck and Mary Nell saying, Lord, this is our burden and we're going to do what we can, but you've got to fill in the blanks. And it's amazing. But this is the way that I think God operates. And this is the way he operated with Paul, right? I mean, Paul, these missionary journeys that Paul took, the three big missionary journeys, it started with a burden on Paul's heart that the Gentiles would hear the word of Jesus. Which is, on its face, if you, you, know, you remember Paul's backstory, that's ridiculous that somebody with Paul's position and Paul's background would want the Gentiles to even hear the story of Jesus. That's ridiculous on its face. And then he's one guy, and he's wanting to spread the word through the entire Gentile Roman world at the time. And that, what's one guy going to do? But yet we're here today reading from a letter that this one guy did while he was in prison and couldn't go visit anybody. (laughs) And yet we're still here reading his letters and saying, wow, God, that was amazing. That was amazing. But it starts with the burden every time. It starts with the burden. So as we follow Jesus and as we listen to the Holy Spirit, He's liable to place a burden on your heart for something. That seems to happen. Listen to that. Even if it seems ridiculous, 
And like, oh, what am I going to do? If that's a burden on your heart for a person or a people or a place or something, it's like, I just, Jesus, if, oh, I just want to see you show up right here in this person's life or in this country or in the, whatever, in Zwiedlar in Netherlands. Jesus, I just want to see you show up. Well, that's, that, that might just be the burden that the Holy Spirit's put on your heart. Lean into that. What are you going to be able to do about it? Well, I don't know. On the face of it, it probably looks like nothing. But I promise, if that's the burden that the Holy Spirit's put on your heart, and you'll lean into it, the next thing you know, you're on the board for a school in Rwanda, and you're making trips to Rwanda to say, all right, what can I do to help? Wow. Wow. And along the way, you get to see God work through you in ways that you just never would have dreamed possible. Everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to benefit. That's how God operates. So that's the first thing that I see here is this struggle, this burden, this, this desire on Paul's heart. And you'll see him break that out even more as we go through this. The next thing that Paul talks about, and he de- this is kind of one of the big themes of the whole book, is just the, the wealth that we have in Christ. The wealth that we have in Christ. Like, that's the whole point. Right? You remember what Paul wrote? You know, if you flip back, you know, one block to the left to Philippians in, in, in chapter 3, he said, I count... Everything is loss. Everything is loss. For what? For being able to plant churches all over the Gentile world? No. To be able to write two-thirds of the New Testament? No. I count everything as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's it. That's the prize. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The prize is not establishing programs. The prize is not planning churches. The prize is not writing books of the New Testament. The prize is knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's it, and that is enough, and that is more than we could ever comprehend. That's the wealth, the treasure is that we get to know God personally, intimately, daily, directly. No mediator, nobody in between. Us, God, relationship, every day. That's it. And the more that I follow Jesus and the more that I follow this burden that he's put on my heart, the deeper I get to know him and the more I get to, as he says, and share in his sufferings. That doesn't seem like a lot of fun, but somehow Paul said, that's where the magic happens. That's when I really get to know Christ Jesus, my Lord, is when I'm sharing in the sufferings, when I am privileged enough to go through the same suffering that he went through. Now I get to know him. Now I get to really know who he is because we're walking through it together. So I've been following Jesus for 30 some odd years now. And I've done this long enough. And and I'm going to say this a little tongue in cheek, but I think you'll understand what I'm saying. 
If I meet somebody that, that claims to have been following Jesus for a long time and they don't walk with a limp, I don't trust them. I don't trust them. If you follow Jesus, if you're really following Jesus, He's going to take you through situations that at times you're looking up and you're going, are you really still here? Because this is awful. And I don't think you're really here. But He is. (laughs) He's right there. And He's saying, you know what? I understand. But if you really want to get to know me, if you really want to see how sufficient I am for your life, if you really want to know how much peace I can bring to you, you'll follow me through this. You remember the disciples when they got in the boat and they were going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and they're not supposed to go over to the other side. You remember the story out of Mark? And, you know, and there's the storm, right? There's the storm. Well, that should be the sign that this is the wrong way to go, right? We should not go to the storm. This is bad. We should turn around. God doesn't want us to go this way. And so they're like, hey, Jesus, there's the storm. They're trying to wake him up, right? Because he's like, yeah, this is what's supposed to happen. And Jesus just looks at him with compassion. But he says, oh, you have little faith. All right, storm's gone, but we're still going to the other side. (laughs) So sometimes as we're following Jesus, we've got to be willing to go through the storm. And it doesn't mean that we're out of God's will. In fact, a lot of the time, it, it's a pretty good sign that you're exactly where he wants you. Eh, that's not fun. <laughs> but man, if you come through that and you're still hanging on to Jesus, I promise you, you're going to know Jesus way better than you could have ever known Jesus just you know, reading your Bible on, in the mornings and watching the birds, and that's great. That's great. But if you want to really get to know Jesus, you got to wrestle, right? you got to wrestle. And sometimes you come out of that with a limp. And you don't, you don't get over some of that stuff. But that's okay. That's okay because you know Jesus and you learn to trust Jesus, and you learn how sufficient Jesus, just Jesus, nothing else, not Jesus and, not Jesus plus, just Jesus is enough for everything. That's what Paul's leading into right here. The wealth of Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's not just spiritual stuff that's in Christ. It's almost like Paul's not even drawing a line here, is he? Between spiritual and intellectual and physical. It's almost like Paul seems to think that all of this is kind of one or pieces of the same whole. Like Jesus is the, the filter. He's the litmus test. He is the sufficiency for everything. You remember the, the, the beautiful analogy that the Lord gives us in the book of Amos for just where, just how much, uh, well, okay, whatever. I'm losing my intro. The plumb line, Amos, right? God says, I'm going to put a plumb line amongst my people. It's foreshadowing of Christ. Here's the standard. So I'm a builder. Some of you are builders. 
you're going to do masonry work, you always do a plumb line. Because it tells you where things are truly straight up and down. And if it doesn't line up with that plumb line, I don't care how much you think it's great. I don't care how good you are at convincing other people that that's the right way to do it. If it doesn't line up with the plumb line, it's wrong. Simple. Simple. Jesus is our plumb line. And if there's something in our life that doesn't line up with Jesus, if there's some idea or philosophy that we've bought into that doesn't line up with Jesus, if there's some activity in our life that doesn't line up with Jesus, it's wrong. (laughs) We need to let go of that. And we need to correct that course so that it lines up with Jesus. That's our plumb line. He is sufficient. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus. It is intellectual. It is spiritual. It is physical. He is sufficient for everything. Everything. And if it doesn't match up with Jesus, then we need to let it go. Now, the trick is we've got to know Jesus, right? Not just think we know Jesus. Because here's, what really, here's the really pernicious part of this, and Paul talks about this too. He's going to break this out big time in a few more verses. We're not going to get to it today. But there are people that can come to you and say that they're following Jesus. And they're going to say some things that kind of, sort of, maybe sound like Jesus. But they're not. And we've got to be able to tell. And the only way we can tell is if we know Jesus. That's the only way we can tell. We've got to really know Jesus. That's why the burden on Eugene Peterson's heart was for people to really read their Bibles. Because you've got to really know what Jesus... If I tell you, well, I think God is saying this to us. And it doesn't line up with what we know God has already said. Then you can throw out every word that comes out of my mouth. I don't care how convinced I am that I heard God say that. If it doesn't line up with this, it ain't right. <laughs> but we got to know this to know that, right? I mean, we got to know Jesus to be able to run the flag up the pole and go, wait a minute, I know you say that's Jesus, but that doesn't really, that doesn't sound like Jesus. That's not really, I think, something Jesus would have said. They fought that from day one, right? There's all kinds of books that were written that were supposedly the words of Jesus, right? In the early days, at the same time, you know, shortly after Paul got done writing and all that, there's other people saying, oh yeah, well, and Jesus also said this, moho. And eventually they all had to come together and say, yeah, no, he didn't really say that. Because that doesn't line up with what we know that he said. So we got to know Jesus and he is sufficient for everything. And so, as we're striving for different things, trying to grasp different things, is it Christ that we're striving for? Is Christ the prize that we're striving after? As we try to uh, go through life, raising families, raising kids, establishing careers, winding careers up, whatever, what is it we're really striving for? Is it Jesus? Is He enough? Or do we think... I really need Jesus and my 401k or whatever. 
Or is Jesus enough? Is that what we're striving for? So the last thing that he talks about here, he says, For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. This unwavering faith that these very young Christians had. Nobody in Colossae had been following Jesus for very much time at all at this point. Nobody. But they've got this unwavering faith. They're staying true to the faith. They're disciplined and they're stable. Remember the analogy that Paul used in 1 Corinthians about being a runner and being a boxer and disciplining his body. You know, you think about distance runners and boxers, it takes a tremendous amount of discipline to do those things because it's every day, every day, every day, every day. And Paul says, that's the analogy for how I condition myself to follow Jesus. It's every day, every day, every day I condition my body to follow Jesus. It's stable. It's unwavering. It takes effort. (laughs) And it has to be intentional. It doesn't just magically happen because we say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. Paul's saying, I have to be disciplined. I have to be intentional. I have to be purposeful about following Jesus. This is not something that just automatically comes to us. So what am I disciplining my body for? Am I disciplining my body to follow Jesus? Or am I disciplining my body to, you know, I I love to run. I love running very long distances. But am I doing more to discipline my body for that than I am for disciplining my body to follow Jesus? Sometimes, especially during football season, it can feel like we're conditioning our bodies to watch television. (laughs) But what is our intentional effort focused at? Is our intentional, disciplined effort moving us towards following Jesus? Or is it moving us towards something else? Again, there's the plumb line. It's Jesus. And if we're going off on this direction, then we need to correct course and come back to Jesus. And make sure that our our daily intentional efforts are pointing us toward Jesus. Now, again, this is the introduction. Paul's going to break these out in much more detail as we go through the next few passages in, uh, in Colossians. But, but as we're talking about a life shaped by God, I just want us to hang on to these three questions today. You know, where, what's your burden? What's my burden? God, what, if, what burden have you placed on my heart? And if nothing, then if you're coming back kind of saying, well, I don't really think I've got a burden, that's fine. Just say, Holy Spirit, is there something you want to burden my heart with? Where I want to see Jesus really show up. So what's my burden? The next question is, what's the prize that I'm striving for? What am I trying to grasp onto with my efforts at life? Is it Jesus? Or is it something else? And the last question is, in those efforts, what am I disciplining my body to do? Am I disciplining my body to be a faithful follower of Jesus? 
Or am I disciplining my body in some other direction that's not Jesus? But this is a life shaped by God. Paul's saying this is his testimony. Paul says, I've got a burden and I'm following Jesus. Christ is my prize and I discipline my body to follow Jesus. And Paul's saying, just follow me. Come on, follow me. We'll do it together. We'll do it together. I won't forget about you. I've got a burden for you. And eventually he does get to go see them. Can't you imagine that that was a really, really great day in the life of that church when Paul showed up? What a celebration. Because they were still following Jesus and they were excited to see Paul show up. As a sidebar, the Laodiceans, this is one of these neat little things in Scripture. It talks about Paul wrote the letter to them and said, y'all swap letters. We have no idea. That's, that letter is lost to history and time. We have no idea. But Paul wrote other letters besides the ones that we have here. So that's just one of those fun little, huh, wonder what he said to the Laodiceans. What did he say? I have no idea. Anyway, you can take that and think about that as you take a nap this afternoon. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the example that you gave us through Paul. Thank you for the burden that you put on his heart that we still get to reap the benefits from as you spoke through him to the Colossians. Lord, we want to know you. We want you to be sufficient. Lord, help us to hear your voice. Help us to know where we're not lining up with your plumb line. And then give us the strength that we need to correct course and discipline ourselves to follow you more closely. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.